Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. And before we go any further into this morning, I wanted to take time to acknowledge this weekend and uh, the reason why you are going to have an opportunity to not go to work tomorrow and to gather together with friends and loved ones for this long Memorial Day weekend. And I know that we've received uh, just such a blessed weekend. It's such an amazing time where you can go to the beach, you can enjoy time outside, cooking, grilling out, playing games, getting together with family. Um, You're free to do whatever you want this weekend. But I want you to know something, that the freedom you have to do that came at a price. And that's what Memorial Day is about. It's about taking time to remember those who laid their lives on the line to secure the freedoms that we have in this country and in the United States of America. And I've seen this phrase, and I'm just reminded of it again and again. And it's never truer to be said than in the house of God that freedom isn't free. Freedom comes with a price. And we, as those that have been redeemed and forgiven by Jesus, we realize that our freedom in Christ cost God's son going to the cross, Jesus dying for us. And those that have followed in that like example, that to preserve the freedoms of this nation, it hasn't come without a cost. And the cost was those that were not just willing to risk their lives, but to pay the ultimate sacrifice to honor this country and protect and uphold the rights and privileges that we have as a people. And so during this weekend, I want to encourage everyone here Would you take time in the midst of whatever it is that you're doing tomorrow? Would you get together with your family? And would you just pray and would you thank the Lord um, for those that have served, for those that have given their lives? Would you pray that God will be near to families and that he would protect our troops that are serving in armed forces here and abroad? Uh, All the different threats that could come against them, but we will trust together that God's hand will protect them, that they will not be lost, they will not perish, and that God will keep them and bring them safely home. Uh, during today, I wanted to take some time to pray, and I want us to invite two groups of people to stand. And when the first group stands, I'm going to invite you to show your appreciation um, with clapping, with cheering, whatever you would like. Um, And for the second one, I'm just going to ask for us to be silent. So I just want to let you know that right now. The first group, or for those that are here that are with us, and you have served in some form of service in our armed forces and military. If you're here today and at any point in your life you've served our country in that way, would you stand? And as they stand, church, would you show your appreciation to them? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can remain standing if you wouldn't mind. If you're able to, would you remain standing? And the... The second group are going to be for those that, and some of those that are standing, you're going to remain standing for that reason, but you know someone, you have a friend, a loved one, someone that you know that has paid the ultimate sacrifice and has lost their life in the duty of serving this country and protecting our freedoms. And if that's you today, and as they stand, I'm going to ask us not to applaud, but just to be silent before the Lord to honor those that have fallen. But if if you know someone, someone is connected to you in your life, that has paid that ultimate sacrifice, has lost their life in the line of duty, uh, would you stand at this time right now? We just want to take a moment to, uh, to stand with you and to honor you and honor their sacrifice today. You see people standing around the room. I'm going to ask for us just to have a moment of silence right now, just for those that have paid that ultimate sacrifice, and then we're going to pray for those that are serving and those who have laid down their lives for this country and for our freedom. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. It's in that sober realization, Lord, that freedom is not free. It comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And for the freedom that we have in Jesus, Lord, it was because you went to the cross for us. You died for our sins. You paid the ultimate price. And Lord, for the freedom that we enjoy today, not just the freedom to lift our hands and to sing and to know that we cry out to a God who hears us, but for the privilege we have to gather as a church. We thank you that we have that freedom today, Lord God, in this nation. 
and where we can see in some ways freedoms coming under attack and being limited, Lord, we still live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. And those that are standing today, Lord, they represent those that are so brave that have been willing to give of themselves, to lay down their lives, to risk their lives, to serve our country. And Lord, there are others that are standing that have felt the pain firsthand, seen it, the pain of loss of those that have given up their lives. The Bible says that greater love has none than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, for the one that he loves. And some of those that are among us here have and know those that loved this country, loved us enough to be willing to lay down their lives to protect this freedom. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be near to their families, that you'd minister to them. To those that have served our country, Lord, would you be near to them? Lord, there are some that are among us and others that we know that have not lost their lives, Lord, but they bear in their body the scars and the wounds, physical, emotional, and every way of, of the battles that they have been a part of. And today, Lord, I pray your healing to flow through those that are wounded, those that are hurting, Lord God, those that still are tormented by the things that they have had to be a part of, Lord God. Would you heal them? Would you come alongside of them? Would you minister to them and their families, Lord God? Lord, would they feel your blessing today? Would they feel our deep sense of appreciation for their service, Lord God, and for their love and for their sacrifice. Today we honor them, and this weekend we honor them, Lord God, and we pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again. Will you take some time tomorrow, church, and will you do that? Just with your families, will you just take a, a moment, and with your children, especially if your children aren't in our service right now, to remind them, of why they have that day off and why we gather together uh, in this way. As we move into uh, this series of messages, we are a part of the title of this series is Suit Up. And I am so thankful that uh, Pastor Marsha was able to bring the first message in the series uh, last week. And so we've already uh, gone off to the races. I told our pastors, Pastor Ron and Pastor Marsha, I said, hey, we, we could go at any time here. Josiah could arrive, and uh, when he does, you need to know that you're up. One of you guys are up. Be ready. Here's what we're going to be talking about from God's Word. And I'm thankful that Pastor Marsha stepped up to the plate, and she did a great job sharing God's Word. I was at home, uh, and I wasn't here because we have experienced the joy of welcoming our son into the world, Josiah Christopher. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for um, all the kind words that you've shared with us. I have a picture here of, of him and his big sister, and they're adorable, and they're, uh, they're a blessing. He's a blessing from the Lord. We've had so many opportunities to witness to our doctors and to everyone that we come in contact with because we get to tell them the meaning behind Josiah's name. It's a biblical character, and uh, we pray he will be his, his namesake uh, before the Lord. And Lily's being a great big sister. I'm finding out that uh, this amazing thing happened whenever Josiah was born. It's that there's certain things that our daughter at two years old that doesn't want to do. And when we say, hey, let's do this, she says, no, I don't want to do that, or she wants to cry, or, or whatever the case would be, or resist. But now all I need to say is, hey, will you do that for the baby? And she just does it. So she loves her brother, and she'll say, hey, it's time to go take a nap. No, why don't you go take a nap for the baby? Okay, and then she goes and does it. Hey, eat this. No, I'll do it for the baby. Okay, so let's just see how long that works. I don't know if she understands it, but uh, the baby is a trump card right now, a wild card that I'm using to, uh, to get her to do things, and it's been fun. Uh, but they're precious. They really are, and, and we, uh, we appreciate your prayers. Give us uh, prayers for rest. Mandy's getting less rest than I am, but uh, we are thankful that we are, are able to sleep, and I'm able to be with you today to share from God's Word. Um, as we became parents, and I'm thinking about the idea of suit up, uh, you want to realize that the, the meaning of this message is a, it's a message series about preparation. It's to prepare us for the battle. It's to prepare us for the times that we live in. It's to prepare us for the reality of what the Bible teaches us about the warfare that is happening on a spiritual level. Um, and you need to know that whatever situation and circumstance you find yourself in, you want to always make sure that you're suited up, that you have exactly what you need. And so while we're going to talk about this from God's Word today, I think of this in a very practical level, just uh, having our second child come into the world. I'm reminded back 
Two years ago, when Lily was about to be born, some of the leaders in the church, they threw us just a, a celebration and a small gathering to, uh, to just honor us and to celebrate the fact that we were getting ready to have a child. And as some of the leaders came, they gave us a few gifts. And some of the gifts were very practical. Uh, some of them were practical and funny. Uh, one of them was practical and hilarious because one of our elders decided to give me a very special gift. He said, I know you're going to have to uh, change diapers, and I want to just give you all the armor that you're going to need to protect yourself. And so here's a picture of me wearing everything that I received that day. I had the face mask. I had big rubber gloves. I had like a, a rubber uh, apron around me, and I think I had uh, a, a, no, a tooth... Uh, uh, a clothesline clip to put over my nose. Uh, so I thought to Mandy, I said to her this week, I said, man, where is that? Now we have double the diapers. Where's all my gear at? I can't find my suit. And so, uh, so we were reminded of, I thought I'd be able to share that with you. Thank you. You know who you are that gave that to me. It's being put to good use. Um, but when we talk about suiting up, it's about being prepared for the circumstance that you find yourself in. And of course, that's funny. Um, but on a day like today and on a weekend like today, we're reminded of just how important it is to be prepared for battle and to be prepared because uh, the battle is very real. And on Memorial Day weekend, we're reminded of just how real the battle is because we see um, gravestones, tombstones, filling military cemeteries of those that have laid down their lives serving our country. I saw a, a picture online this week and it was uh, a cartoon and it had two scenes in it. The first scene was a parent and a child and the child was looking around and the dad was cooking on the grill and there's food out and there's a big celebration I'm guessing it's a memorial day picnic and the son said hey dad how much did all this stuff cost and the dad said this much and he pointed and when you looked in the next scene it was a bunch of tombstones from a military cemetery he said this is what it costs for us to be able to have this and i thought what a what a chilling picture and what a sobering picture of what it means for us to have what we have and just how real the battle is. Today, whether you know it or not and whether you realize it, I know that we all should in some way, shape, or form. There are battles that are being fought all around, at home, at sea, in different places around the world, and there's a very real battle and battles that are being waged. There are people, people that are flesh and blood just like you that are involved in them. And it can be very easy for you to go through a day, a month, a week, and a year not even living in the full awareness that there is a very real battle. But I want to tell you, when there's a loved one that you have that gives you the call and says, I'm being deployed to a very hostile area, a place where I could lose my life. And so, guess what? For you, every time you see the news, every time that country and that place and that location comes up, doesn't your heart change a little bit towards that? You live in a different kind of awareness that the battle is real. And if you know someone and love someone that is serving in that way and they're involved in the battle, you realize just how real the battle is. If you know anyone that has lost their life in serving our country in a battle, in a war, you realize just how real the war and the battle is. Sometimes we can live ignorant, unaware of just how real the battle is without a full awareness and understanding of what's taking place until it impacts us until we feel it in some way or another. The same is true in a spiritual level. Just as Pastor Marsha shared with you last week, that there is a very real, a very critical and a very cosmic battle that is happening, the Bible says. It is a battle that is not against flesh and blood, but it is a spiritual battle that is happening every day, and it's in the battleground of our lives. And there is a very real enemy that is working over time to cause pain, to cause uh, devastation, to cause the loss of lives. And we need to realize that we cannot be ignorant to that battle. We cannot be ignorant to the enemy that is very real. We cannot be ignorant to his schemes. And we should not be ignorant to how God has prepared us to take part in that and has given us a purpose. Because if we live in ignorance of it, then it would be just like those that would walk onto a battlefield not realizing that they're a part of that battle. They could easily become a casualty. They can easily be wounded. They could easily be harmed in some way or another. The same is true spiritually. And so my prayer and my heart is that you would be prepared, that you would enter into an awareness of just how real this battle is that the Bible teaches us and warns us about so that we are prepared in every way. Now, as you think about this, I think that you can easily come to a 
place of confusion when you think that there is a battle that is being warred and that there is a real enemy. The enemy that is real is Satan, is the devil that the Bible talks about, who is the prince of the air. He is a very real enemy. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour. He is our enemy, and the Bible teaches us that clearly. But for some of you, you look at me and you say, Pastor, when I read the Bible and when I've heard the sermons, I don't understand how there's a very real battle because we already have the victory in Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross and he destroyed and he overcame Satan. He defeated him, so he's defeated. So why is there a battle if he's already been defeated? And I don't know if you've ever thought about that or tried to reconcile those ideas, but I want to give you an illustration to help you understand this and understand the time in which we live right now. And to do that, I want to bring you back to World War II. There are two very important dates that are on the calendar that are pinnacle, critical dates in World War II, in the war and in the victory that came about from it. The first is D-Day. D-Day is June 6, 1944. It's whenever the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. And whenever they entered into those beaches, they began to liberate Europe and set them free from Nazi rule and occupation. And as they came and as they hit that place, something shifted. It was the decisive blow that would ultimately then lead to the great victory. And so when that happened, the war was ending. It was ready to go. There was going to be the, the, the complete triumph of those that had set out to bring freedom and liberation for those that were held in captivity. But there's another date. It's not D-Day, it's V-Day. And V-Day happened almost a year later on March 8th, 1945. V-Day is Victory Day. It is the day when there was ultimate surrender and when it was over and there was complete victory. It had been completely realized. So there is a date that we can see when Jesus died for our sins on the cross. And you want to know what that is? That was D-Day. Do you know why? Because he stormed the gates of hell. He took back the keys. He set captives free. He granted our forgiveness. He died for our sins. He accomplished it and he defeated the enemy. And so from that point forward, the enemy's marked as defeated. He's defeated in the same way that as this decisive moment happened on D-Day, they knew, the enemy at that time knew, we don't have time. We only have a matter of time left. We're on borrowed time. But this thing's moving in a direction that it's over. Now here's the question. When that happened in Nazi Germany, when that happened, when there was all that happened, did they say, you know what? It's going to be over soon, and so let's just give up, and let's just not do anything else. Let's not cause any more pain. Let's stop fighting. Let's just put our hands up. No, they didn't go without a fight, right? And so what happened is there was a lot of pain still caused between D-Day and V-Day, there were still lives that were lost. There was, in, in many ways, there was even an enhancing of, of, of terrible things that were taking place, of beauty that was being destroyed. They were going into museums and stealing paintings. They were hurting more and more people. And so in every way, damage was being caused. Even though they knew that they were defeated, even though they knew it was coming to a close and ultimately they would not be victorious, they didn't leave without a fight. And the picture I want to give you is that the enemy is in that same position. The Satan is in that same place. He knows that he is on borrowed time. He knows that because of the cross and because of what Jesus Christ has done, he's defeated. And he's on borrowed time right now until V-Day comes, the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation, that there will be a day of ultimate judgment. When he is cast out, he's cast into a lake of fire. And it's the ultimate victory, ultimate destruction. He is ultimately defeated. But between D-Day and V-Day in the Bible, there's a very real enemy. And the battle that he is waging is one that will cause as much pain, as much loss, as much destruction as possible between now and then. And you know who's in the crosshairs of that? We are. We are in the crosshairs of that. And so with that, we see that this, the Bible teaches us there's a very real battle. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. It's against forces that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And because of that, we need to be prepared. The Bible teaches us then our place is preparation, to be prepared for that, to understand what that means. And if then in a real battle, you would wield real weapons. You would make sure that you had everything you needed tactically 
The Bible teaches us spiritually we need to be prepared and suited up in the same way. And so in the same way that a suit of armor would be put on for a warrior going into a real physical battle, there's spiritual armor that we put on for the very spiritual battle that we are engaged in. And last week, Pastor Marsha shared with you about the belt of truth. Let's look there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14. It says, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The first thing it says, the first piece of armor in the armor of God isn't armor at all. It's a belt. It's actually a piece that goes under the armor. It's interesting to realize that the first thing that we're asked to put on isn't something that is a key piece of the armor, but it's what holds all the armor together. It's the truth. It's the truth of Jesus Christ. I know Pastor Marsha shared with you last week that there's this idea floating around that truth is relative, that it's subjective, that it can be your truth and my truth, and they can be completely different. And if it's your truth and it's true to you, then it's true. That's not true. Uh, here, here's what the Bible says, and here's what Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one capital T truth, and a lot of lowercase t truths that the world will sell you. There's one truth, one way. His name is Jesus. When we look to him, when we look to his word, that's truth. And if we know that truth, the Bible says that truth will set us free. You can chase after any truth you want, but there's only one truth that will lead you to that freedom. It's Jesus. And if we're not girded, if we're not held by him and standing in his truth, you can go through every other message, you can go through every other part of this and every other piece of armor, but if you're not being held in the truth of Christ, it doesn't matter. It will all fall apart, and at some point or another, um, it, it, it will all become undone. In the same way that if I didn't have a belt on and you didn't have a belt on, you could see that you're in a compromised place. It isn't holding you in the same way. The armor can't be held without the truth of Christ at the center of it without his truth, not the world's truth, not anyone's opinion truth. It's the truth of Christ. And so as that girds, undergirds, and holds together, the first piece then that is laid upon that, the first piece of armor that we see is the breastplate of righteousness that is laid upon. And so we're going to take some time this morning, we're going to explore what it means to have the breastplate of righteousness on us as a part of God's armor. And the first thing we need to understand is what's a breastplate and what is righteousness. And so first we'll look at the breastplate. The breastplate was put in place. It was attached to someone that was going into battle to protect them. The breastplate, now think about this with me, it protects all the vital organs. It protects the heart. It protects the most vulnerable parts of your body. And as that happens, it's placed upon a person to conform to them completely. What you'd see in this day and age is that those, those breastplates were formed. It was formed to the individual. So one that I would wear would be completely different than the one you would wear because it would be fitted to you. And you could see that it's almost like scales that are overlapping and interlocking so it can just conform completely around all the areas of your, of, of your chest, of your organs, protecting you in every way, protecting your heart especially. And that's fitted to you. It's specific to you. And so in the same way that the breastplate is completely fitted to you, when we see this piece of armor, the breastplate of righteousness, know that it is conformed and fitted perfectly to you by God. In the same way, it's completely conformed to you. What is righteousness? We know what a breastplate is now. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the condition of being acceptable to God. Righteousness is being in right standing with God. Righteousness is to be found innocent. Righteousness is to be acquitted of charges. It's to be right in the sight of God. And so if you're righteous, that's what it means. And it means that you're honoring him. It means that you're walking with him. It means that you're walking in obedience to his word and to his will and to his ways. The Bible says in Psalm 23, he leads me, the good shepherd, leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's a righteous God and he's made us in his image and his desires that we would live righteous lives. Lives that honor him, lives that walk in obedience with his ways. Ones where when people look at us, they see him. And so if we are to have that, and we are to walk through life, that righteousness, the Bible says, becomes 
a breastplate over us. It protects us. It holds us. It keeps us from the enemy so that we cannot be hindered. That righteousness is literally something that keeps any attack, anything from coming and causing pain inside of us. That righteousness is our shield over our breast. It's a, it's a chest plate, a breastplate over us. And so that's the image, the visualization of righteousness. There's a problem that you and I, we are created one way to honor God in every way, to walk with him perfectly, but we're not perfect. And so if we would think about Psalm 23, that we are to walk in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, there are times that you and I, we get off that path. We take a step off the path. And if you put back up that suit, the, the breastplate there that I had the picture of, you'll see and just imagine with me that every time you take a step off that path, every time you step one way or the other and it's not in obedience with God, could you imagine one of those pieces of armor coming off of that breastplate? Could you imagine every time you make a step in the wrong direction, you don't honor God, you don't do what is right in his sight, one of those pieces of metal come off? Well, before long, maybe within the day, right? There's no more metal left. There's no more protection left. And there's only maybe the shirt that you're wearing under it. But guess what? You're walking through this life and then the shirt becomes tattered as well and becomes dirty and becomes filthy and worn out because of the wrong steps that we make, the way that we don't live righteously, we live unrighteously. And as we walk through, could you imagine all of these soldiers lining up for battle to stand against the enemy's onslaught, and there you are standing, having been compromised so incredibly with just tattered rags instead of a true breastplate to protect you. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 64 that our righteousness in and of itself is like filthy garments, and they will not protect us. In any day of battle, we are completely vulnerable because of our sin, because of our wrong choices. If we step off the path, that's sin. That's what it means. We've missed the mark. We haven't honored God in some way or another. And so in and of ourselves, we're not perfect, and therefore our righteousness is not enough to protect us, is not enough to save us, is not enough to keep us. We can't do it in and of ourselves. But praise be to God that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Thankful that if you look at my old self and those old garments and my old life, that that's not my story today. That's my old self. The Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that if we're in Christ, something amazing has happened, that we're a new creation. And it says if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Verse 18 says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has now committed us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are now Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be brought back to God. But here's the verse. Here's the verse that shows what happens because of Jesus. It says this, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be a sin offering for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's what happens. Yeah, we can praise God for that. <laughs> that you and I, we walk through this life and because of sin, because of our wrong choices, all of that, that righteousness that was meant to be our breastplate, was corroded and eroded away. And before long, it was like filthy garments hanging off of us. But it says, but God made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering for us so that we could receive the righteousness of God. And so Paul goes on to talk about this some more. In Philippians chapter three, he's talking about everything that he had in this life, everything he used to hold up and to puff up his chest and to make him great. Everything he held on to and he found his righteousness in. Have you ever looked at someone acting a certain way and you've used this term? They're being very self-righteous right now. Does, you don't, have you ever heard that term being used? Man, they're being self-righteous. It means that they've puffed themselves up and they're standing on their accolades. Paul did the same thing. He found a lot of reasons in the life that he was living to puff up his chest and say, I have a self-righteousness. And he would walk around strutting that, proud of that, boasting in that. 
But look what he says. Think about Isaiah 64. Think about what I, the imagery I gave you of the, the breastplate versus just tattered clothes. He said this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So today, if we're a new creation in Christ, if we received a new heart and a new life, we've now received that righteousness on us. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see those tattered clothes. He doesn't see our old self. That's been separated, forgiven, gone. We are now in right standing before God. You may look in the mirror and you may see and remember your sin and your wrongdoing and the choice that you had made and the things that have shamed your past. But here's what you need to know. When God looks at you today and when he looks at you on that final day of judgment, he will not see that. He will see the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, covering over your life. He doesn't see your past. He doesn't see the shame. It's all covered under Christ's sacrifice, under his forgiveness. Isn't it so amazing what he has done for us? That it becomes our very breastplate, a very thing that protects us, that guards us, that can keep us from the attacks of the enemy. We were walking around with tattered rubbish, tattered clothes, and we have now received the breastplate of righteousness, his righteousness. And so as we walk with that, as we walk with that, we need to realize that there's something that can continually keep us from putting that on. And so I want to warn you about this because the Bible teaches us clearly. It doesn't say when you became a Christian or followed Jesus that the breastplate of righteousness is now super glued to you and you walk around with it. It says, no, what? Put it on. What does that mean to put it on every day? How do I put it on? it means that you need to actually live and operate in the awareness of that. Because there's something that the enemy's going to do to want to subtly undermine and really stop you from wearing or believing in or affirming or operating out of the awareness of that righteousness. And it's going to come through something called guilt. And guilt doesn't sound like a bad word, but you need to understand that there is a difference between guilt and another word, conviction. And there are two methods. One is being used by the Lord. The other is not being used by him. And so for this purpose, I'm going to say that guilt is that thing that the enemy will use so often to get under your skin and to cause pain and to cause you to wallow and to try to continue to move backwards in your walk with Christ And conviction is something that God and the Holy Spirit will bring into your life to help lead you towards him. But let me show you the difference between these two, between God's conviction and Satan's guilt that he wants to bring. God's conviction, he convicts us in love. Satan accuses us in hatred. God convicts of present sin, of present issues that you're walking with. Satan only wants to bring up the past. And conti- things that are covered under Christ's blood, things that you've already been forgiven of. He wants you to continue to wallow in that and feel guilty for those things. God convicts us using his word. Satan uses feelings and emotions and opinions, sometimes even of other people. God convicts us with the purpose of drawing us to himself. Satan brings guilt into our lives to separate us from God. So today, I want to tell you that there isn't a conviction that God's Spirit is going to bring that's going to actually draw you away from Him. If that's happening, then you need to realize something's wrong. If what you're feeling, and you may think, well, that's conviction, but it's drawing me away from God. No, that's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Why would God go to such great lengths to bring you to Himself to cast you out? That's not Him. That's not Him. Don't believe a lie and don't give in to that. And so you'll see that guilt can be used to lead out Conviction can ultimately lead to greater devotion. Guilt will ultimately lead to, like, depression. God always wants us to be looking ahead and will help us to look ahead with hope. Satan continues to want us to get looking backwards. Imagine driving down the street, only looking in your rearview mirror. You're bound to crash. 
I want to tell you that one of the great things that the enemy wants to use is your past. He wants to keep dredging that up in front of you and he wants to stop any progress that you're making with the Lord. But it's the breastplate of righteousness that protects you from that. But you have to stand in it and you have to fit it firmly on you. You shouldn't, cannot allow anything to get between that righteousness and yourself. And sometimes the enemy wants to use some of these things like guilt and others to just create a wedge there so that you can't stand firmly and be protected under that. And so how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness and what is it made up of? I want you to think just as you would see that breastplate having these interwoven pieces, that there are two elements to the breastplate of righteousness in your life, in your walk with God, that are vitally important. One of them has already happened. One of them is continually happening and will happen until the day you meet Jesus face to face. There are two words I want you to write down today if you're taking notes. I want you to continue to remember and think about. The two words are this, justification and sanctification. These are two words that describe the two elements of the breastplate of righteousness and how righteousness covers us in this way. The first is justification. In justification, I'm going to show you the definition of this right here up on the slide. We can put that up right now. Justification is the act of being declared righteous in God's sight. It's a righteousness that comes because you have been justified. To be justified, an easy way that I think about this word is just as if I've never sinned. When God looks at you, if you've received justification by his grace, by his forgiveness in your life, it means when he sees you, it's just as if you've never sinned. So you've been justified. You've been declared righteous in God's sight because of that. That happens the moment of salvation. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've been justified. You've been forgiven. When God looks at you in that moment, he doesn't see your past sin. He sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. That's justification. You follow me? And we need to stand, the Bible says, that's a key part of the armor of God, of the breastplate of righteousness. It's the righteousness that comes through justification, right? Standing with God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because of his blood being shed. And that protects you and that covers you. And today you need to stand on that and not let anything get in between you believing otherwise about it. The second is sanctification. Sanctification is the act of being set apart from sin and unto God. So it's being set apart from sin. It means you're moving away from sin and towards the Lord. This is an ongoing process. Like I said, justification happens the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You get 100%. You're 100% forgiven in that moment. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything else for it. You've turned your life over to him, and now you've received that grace that comes from Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that covers you. Same way a breastplate covers you. But sanctification is another element. It's the ongoing process of you looking more and more like Jesus every day. Because I, want, I, want, I don't know about you, but the moment I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, spiritually I was made perfect in God's sight where I'm forgiven. I'm right with God. But in this world and in this life, I'm still far from perfect. Maybe I'm the only one in the room, right? I asked last service and we'll ask again today is there anyone that's been walking with Jesus for more than 50 years of your life put your hand up if that's you anyone that has known the Lord for 50 years or more anyone I don't mean to embarrass anyone okay we got a couple over here I saw some people in first service that rose their hand I want to ask any of you are you perfect yet have you reached it no if I ask for 60 70 80 90 years guess what on this side of eternity we're not going to be perfect we're not going to be perfect but here's the goal in sanctification, that tomorrow I want to look more like Jesus than I did yesterday. And next year, I want to look more like Jesus than I did last year. And it's the ongoing process of moving with him, walking with him, maturing in him. And I want you to think that as you have this breastplate of righteousness, that as you're doing that, you're just being strengthened. You're being strengthened. You're being reinforced. That is on you. And I want to tell you that the opposite is true as well. That if you are walking through this life relying on your justification for God and you think that gives you a justification to sin and to do whatever it is that you want and you don't need to be going through that process of being set apart from sin and unto God, then you need to know you're vulnerable. In the same way that if you were only wearing half of a breastplate, 
That if you have stood under Christ's forgiveness, but at the same time you're using that as a license to go on making those wrong choices and not moving towards God, you're in a vulnerable place where you could easily come under attack. And so I want to encourage you to make sure that you understand both of these elements. One is you standing firm in your salvation and in what Christ has done. And secondly, is you saying, Lord, take me deeper today. Lead me in the paths of righteousness. Lord, may I look more and more like you every single day. And as you continue in both of those, it's both of those pieces of this armor being held together and held tightly against you. And it will protect you against the schemes of the enemy. Finally, as the worship team comes forward, I want to give you some of the attacks, because I think we have to be wise to the enemy's schemes. And at different times during this series, you're gonna, you'll receive some of these because I believe that the enemy has specific ways that he would come against different parts of this armor. And this is one of them that is especially true of the breastplate of righteousness. The greatest attack that the enemy has for the breastplate of righteousness is accusations, is to come and to accuse and when he comes and he accuses, he's coming to ultimately try to dig into and get through that and to harm you and to hit your heart and hit those sensitive places of you. If you've ever been under accusation for something, you know what that feels like. You feel it. Where at? You feel it right here, right where the breastplate of righteousness should protect you. You can feel it deep inside. And there are four ways that accusations normally come. First is Satan accuses us. And as the accuser, that is his role. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 10, that the accuser of our brethren is cast down. And it's talking about Satan and that final V-Day victory that comes on the judgment day. It says, which accused them. This tells about what he was doing. It says, day and night, he was accusing the children of God before God. He's accusing. He's trying to pull up your past. He's trying to pull at you. He's trying to do so many things. He's trying to get you to ultimately believe that your sin still has you, that your past is still your identity, that you're not a new creation, that you're still a mess up, that you're still this, you're still that, you're still the other thing, and he will work overtime to get you to believe that he is the accuser. That's his role. That's his identity. And through that accusation, he's going to just continue to come against that. And you stand firm, the Bible says, with the breastplate of righteousness, and you say, you know what, no. You can say everything you want, but guess what? I'm protected by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is my shield. He is my righteousness. You could say anything you want about who I was, but guess what? This is what I'm wearing today. You could say anything about my old life, but this is what I have right now. And, but that's one of the attacks that will come. The second is we often accuse ourselves. Some Christians, you can't get over your past. You know that the Bible says you've been forgiven, but you can't forgive yourself. You know what the Bible says about these things and that God has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west, but you can't stop thinking about it. You can't release it. And today, you're walking around just accusing yourself, not believing you can ever get over it. You're, you're getting under your own skin because you can't move on and find the healing that you need to move beyond it. And you're just accusing yourself, looking into yourself. And, and that's a place that you have to continue to stand firm in the armor, that you have to know that you know and believe God. Take him at his word. Take him. At, it's not like it says it in one place in the Bible and in the scripture. It says it throughout the Bible. It gives great witness to this fact that there is nothing that can separate you from the love that is in Jesus Christ. You can't be separated. There's nothing in height or depth that can separate you from that love. And that love is something that sees you right where you're at. And you need to realize there's nothing. There's nothing that you've done that you can't come to God with a repentant heart turning away from that he wouldn't receive you to himself and lead you forward. The third place is others accuse us. Others will come. People that love the Lord and people that do not know the Lord and are even an enemy of God's. But they will come and they will falsely accuse you. We see it in the Bible from Nehemiah to David to even Jesus himself. And it's ultimately God's job to silence those accusers. But you can see it happens in the church. It happens outside the church. In fact, we know it happens in the church because Paul writes about it on a couple of occasions where people in the body of Christ are bringing accusations against one another. 
And so all around, people that love the Lord and mean well, people that don't know the Lord, it can come from any place. When those accusations come, God is ultimately the one. You have to stand in his righteousness on that hour. You have to stand. After you've searched your heart, if you could stand, you don't have to do battle. You don't have to do, you just stand in his, in his word, trusting him. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, how he would deal with this. He said this, I'm going to deal with it in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left. And he goes on in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, and he says, what shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ is he who died. Yes, rather, he who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Here's what you need to know. The Bible says the enemy, he's an accuser. He's going around accusing day and night, but you know what the Bible says also? That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That anything the enemy would ever want to say about you, me, if we're under Christ's blood, he'd say, no, he's mine. He's the apple of my eye. He is forgiven. I have set him free. He is a new creation. That we have an advocate at the right hand of the Father is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Praise God. And the final area that we can find accusation coming from, it's from our circumstances. And there are some of us, when you walk through a difficult trial, when things don't go the way that you thought and you prayed that they would, the accusations start coming against you. If God really loved me, then I wouldn't be walking through this. If God really loved him, then he wouldn't have died. God really cared, he wouldn't let me go through this diagnosis. If he, if he really saw me, and re- there must be something wrong with me. There must be something that's wrong. There must be, there's something wrong that I've done. There's something that's made me not good enough because this isn't working out the way that I've been praying. I've been doing everything I can to honor you, God. It's not enough. I guess I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. See how easily the accusations come from our circumstances. I want you to know we serve a God who's greater than any circumstance. And just as Paul said, and just as Scripture testifies time and again, anything we face in this life is a momentary trouble that pales in comparison to the surpassing greatness of what will be revealed in Christ Jesus. So whatever it is you're walking through, do not let your circumstances dictate and have greater weight in your life than God's Word. Don't let it question His righteousness that is meant to guard and shield you. But instead, stand firm, stand trusting him, stand knowing that your circumstances don't create an opportunity for that accusation, but instead you trust him through the breastplate of righteousness. And as we do that, we will find God's protection. We will find his prosperity. We will be filled, the Bible says, full of his spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. His protection, the righteous of the upright, God will deliver them, but the unfaithful will be caught by their lust. Today, we can stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness, knowing, knowing that we know that we know that we belong to him and that he holds our today and he holds our tomorrow. And so today, that's my prayer for you. And I invite you to stand with me because the way we're going to close this message is going to be a little bit different than some other ways that we've done that. We're going to pray. I'm going to invite you today, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, Pastor Ron, would you just stand right in the back there? If you you don't have a relationship with Jesus right now, and you have never experienced his forgiveness in your life that I've talked about, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and to give you that brand new life, today's the day of salvation for you. I want you to make that decision. And what I want to do is I want to invite you actually to just join Pastor Ron. Wave at us over here right by this exit. And I want you to head right out. And so today, if today's that day, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you know today's the day that you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the very first time, 
It's a moment between you and God that you need to experience that forgiveness so you can experience what we've talked about today and you've never done that. I want you to lift your hand right now. Say, Pastor, I'm ready. I want to say that prayer and I want to receive Jesus as my Lord. Is there anyone here that's, that's ready to do that? see any hands go up, but I, I can't see everyone here. If that's you, what I'm going to ask you to do is at the end of our service, either right now or before you leave, I want you to find Pastor Ron or one of our ushers or one of our altar workers, and I want you to ask them to pray with you for that very reason. And we'd be glad to pray with you and to lead you in that prayer and to walk with you in that journey. For the rest of us that are here today, I want to say a prayer that we're all going to take part in. And it's going to be a prayer about this, about the breastplate of righteousness. And it's going to take what we've talked about from God's word today and it's just going to put into the form of a prayer that we can pray out. And so if you know that this is how you want to stand firm in the Lord, I want you to repeat these words after me. Just like how you hear many people pray to accept Jesus and we'll have a prayer that's repeated. We're going to do that this morning. And I encourage every person that would want to to repeat these words with me as we pray that we would wear and bear the breastplate of righteousness and stand in it firmly. So let's pray together and repeat these words after me. Lord Jesus. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am clothed with God's righteousness, which protects my heart from the enemy. All the holds that Satan had on my life or in me have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I am no longer clothed in filthy garments, but rather in robes of righteousness. The righteousness of God covers me and protects me from the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate God's goodness? Praise God. Praise God. Today, we're going to spend some time at these altars praying. I know there are people that needed prayer for many things. I'm going to invite altar workers if you come forward at this time. If you have a need in your life, in your body, in your family, come forward. Let us pray with you. The worship team is going to lead out in some songs. I'd encourage you to stick around and to worship with them. But at this time, you are free to go if you need to go and save your conversations for the foyer. God bless you. Again, if you would like to start a relationship with Jesus, there's a room right out here in the foyer. You can come to any of our altar workers, and they'd be glad to pray with you. God bless you.